Good afternoon, everyone. This is Doug Ferrara, Sports Illustrated, and good news, good news, good news. It is officially 2015 football season. The NFL is back. Training camps are starting. And if you needed any more proof that football is back, the return of the Doug Ferrara and Greg Cosell, or more properly, the Greg Cosell and lowercase Doug Ferrara, football podcast. We've done uh, regular season, we've done draft, and now we're doing uh, season previews for all eight divisions, starting with uh, today the AFC East. And, and, and Greg, uh, first of all, welcome back. And it's just a darn shame there's nothing going on in the AFC East for us to talk about. This is going to be a pretty short podcast, huh? Yeah, I saw somewhere that somebody picked Geno Smith as the worst quarterback in the NFL. Is that the big news coming out of the AFC East these last couple of days? Was that you guys? You're, uh... No, no, that was not that was not Joe's quarterback countdown. Oh, okay. No, yeah, I guess someone else did that. Well, I, yeah, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I had to do quarterback ratings for uh, SI.com this week, and the only remarkable thing on that is how many people I had to block on Twitter. You know, it's just well. You know, one thing I've learned uh, being very closely involved in the execution of Jaws Quarterback Countdown for ESPN, Doug, is all people really care about is the list. They don't care about substance or, or, or content or context. They just care about the list. Right. It's like when uh, you when you tout a uh, an article that you've written on Twitter, and people look at the title and go, "Well, what do you mean by that?" What well, there's a link and go read the article. But, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but, but well, that takes too much time. But we're living in hope there. Um, there you go. Ordinarily, when we do these season previews for by division, which we've done for a few years, we go alphabetically. But uh, heck with that. Let's throw that out the window. Start with the New England Patriots. Um, and blah, 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 deflate gate. We could go on for hours on that, and really let's not. Um, let's say that, for the sake of argument, the first four games, the first five weeks, because they have a bye. Uh, the Patriots have Jimmy Garoppolo instead of Tom Brady. We know what Tom Brady is and what Tom Brady isn't at this point in his career. Um, I did a tape piece on Garoppolo when Brady was first suspended. And a couple of things stuck out to me, but the, the, I guess the way I'll start this discussion is the most intriguing thing to me about Garoppolo is he may be the first starting quarterback Belichick's had in New England who can kind of create a moving pocket and can run around and create throwing lanes and roll right and throw. Um, it, not that Brady isn't mobile, but he's more mobile in the pocket. Gar- is kind of more of a rollout guy, and I'm interested, first of all, to see what you think about what that might do to New England's offense and what you just think of him. Because I know you, he was one of the guys you watched when he came out uh, a couple of years ago um, out of Eastern Illinois, and just what your thoughts on the Garoppolo Patriots in general. Well, I think you make a good point about Garoppolo. I think he's got really quick feet. I think he's got some quick twitch to him. He has a compact delivery. Uh, He can get out of the pocket by design, which you you rarely see Brady do. It's clearly not his game. Uh, So I think Garoppolo, in terms of his stylistic traits, sort of fits the the Patriots' offense. Now, the questions you have, uh, besides the obvious ones that he's – hasn't played and he has no experience for the most part, is the Patriots' offense is built on a couple of things. It's built on the really selective but excellent use of tempo, the tempo offense. Brady is a master at that. Yep. Uh, it's built on Brady's decision-making before the ball is snapped. 
he's as good as there is in the league at that. Those are two areas in which you don't know about Garoppolo until he plays. But they're critical elements of the Patriots' offense. So... When people and, and this happens all the time, you have an experienced quarterback, you lose him for whatever reason, and you have a less experienced guy come in as a backup. Maybe he's more mobile. In a general sense, when you have a master of tempo, a master of pre-snap, um, let's say Peyton Manning goes down, they got to put Brock Osweiler in there. In a, this is a very general question, and every team does it differently. But when people talk about simplifying offenses and simplifying reads, um, it to the point where you can actually make this work. What are what are coaches talking about when they say that? Well, I think you can do that through the use of personnel and formation. Uh, you know, one thing the Patriots did a lot of last year with Brady is they did a lot of two tight end sets. And often two tight end sets, I'm talking about tight sets or, or six offensive linemen. Uh, and, uh, and often you, when you do that, you anticipate that you're going to get an eight-man box. And what that does is it helps define reads. And, and last year the Patriots did an awful lot with, with Brady of sort of what I call that quick three-step bang play action yep. where he, he just hit his back foot and it was well-defined and the ball would come out. Uh, with Garoppolo, you could probably do similar things. As you mentioned, you could roll him out, which helps define the read as well because it cuts the field. So, I, you know, I think there's things you can do, but... The question becomes, what will their offense look like? You know, will they run the tempo offense? Now, they didn't run it 100% of the time. Clearly, they're not the, they're not the Philadelphia Eagles. But Brady was a master at the tempo offense within the middle of a drive. So they'd run three plays, and all of a sudden they jump right into tempo. You know, you're not certain if a guy, Jimmy Garoppolo, with his lack of experience, can do that. And you, you pointed out the, the 6 OL, which they did a ton, uh, the bang play action. Um, a couple of things stood out to me, and I did a, a tape piece on just the, the overall New England passing offense uh, before the Super Bowl, and they're not throwing the ball deep. And when and, and this is something we can talk about in season. Have you noticed that when Brady gets pressured in the pocket from the sides, he tends to be less accurate than he had been in years before? Well, I think Brady. No one, I think, would say Brady was a great deep ball or even in his prime. I think Brady is has always been an outstanding short intermediate thrower with a better arm than he was probably given credit for as, throwing, as far as throwing intermediate balls because his ball could cut through the wind in New England. Um, but he's never been a pure deep thrower. I mean, you didn't see through the years, let's say, a lot of deep digs in the New England offense. That's not what they did. And, and Brady was so good before the snap of the ball that his, his, he could eliminate incredibly quickly, and then know where to go with the ball at a very early stage, very often before the snap. So he's a very decisive player, and that's one of his strengths among many. Now you get to Garoppolo, you know in the NFL as far as quarterback, that when we say decisive, you know, a millimeter of a second being less decisive can have a huge impact, and you don't know where Garoppolo stands in regard to that. Yeah. Um, so obviously with the quarterback situation up in the air, the running back situation becomes a little more important. Uh, Steven Ridley's off to the Jets. Shane Vereen's off to the Giants. So LeGarrette Blunt is the main guy. Brandon Bolden, who had the you know the little 
exploded out of nowhere, or uh, Jonas Gray, excuse me. And so when you look at LeGarrette Blunt, when you look at what they do have, they've, they've lost a lot of, and, and they've really benefited from those versatile guys. Yeah. Um, is Bolden that kind of guy? You know, because Vereen, mm. see, I go back to those weird formations they were running against the Ravens in the playoffs, which the NFL subsequently outlawed, um, which I thought was too bad because I thought it was brilliant. Um do they have the guy who can start in the backfield and, and flare out and, and do the, the Justin Forsett, Reggie Bush, you know, the, the slash guy? Do they have that play well, anymore? Well, assuming they're going to stay with the, the same concepts that they use with Brady, and that's a question in and of itself, I think their two most versatile type backs in that regard would be James White and Tavares Cadet. Um I don't think Gray is that kind of back. I don't think Blunt, who I guess is even is suspended, uh, but he's not that kind of back either. So, you know, again, when you have a Tom Brady, you can run multiple offensive concepts with different personnel packages throughout a drive and throughout a game. Can you do that with an inexperienced quarterback? There's a lot of unknowns about this offense if it's Garoppolo. Yeah. Um, they... Uh Brett and Scott Chandler to be sort of the, the complimentary tight end to Rob Gronkowski. Yeah, he's a pretty good player. And, and what, he had those kind of high touchdown uh, ratio seasons for the Bills with some pretty indeterminate quarterbacks. So, again, a lot of two tight ends, which has really been the case over the last few seasons. Um, you would expect that to continue. What does Chandler bring to the table that maybe other guys don't? Or does he? Well, he's got great size, first of all. Um, and I think that's critical, you know, wide catching radius. Uh, moves a little better than people might think. Not explosive, but a better mover. Uh, you know, when you look at Gronkowski and Chandler together, those are two very big tight ends. 6'6 six, six plus, and probably what, both over 260 pounds? You know, close to 270? Yep. Um, so, you know, not only does it help in your pass game, but those two tight end sets could help a lot in your run game. Uh, Edelman and LaFell are the two main receivers. Uh, Amendola is a factor. Is there anyone kind of lower on the list you see could could bust out this year? Well, I guess the Patriots, as well as everybody, still waiting to see if Aaron Dobson, who was, I believe, a second-round pick and has talent, can ever become a player because he's probably the most vertically explosive of the group, uh, and he just hasn't for what any number of reasons injury i don't know about his mindset i'm not there but i think this would probably be his last chance i think he's going into his third year but he's a big kid who can run and they don't really have one of those guys on the roster yeah um offensive line they pencil trey jackson in i think as as the starter at left guard uh he has that familiarity with brian stork the center uh dante skarnecchia from what I've read, did a ton of scouting down there specifically with Jackson. He seems to fit that power counter trap ideal. What do you think, you know, if it's Solder, Jackson, Stork, Ryan Wendell, and Sebastian Vollmer left to right, which is what it kind of looks like, um, is that, I mean, if you have a mobile quarterback, do you run more zone? Do you want, you know, bigger guys? Does that change at all? Um, I guess, and this is a general philosophical question, if you go from static to mobile, does that change your blocking schemes? It could. Uh, you know, and I guess that's what they're going to find out in training camp. Uh, and, again, I don't know what they're going to do in training camp. If, if uh, you know, Brady is not going to get first-team snaps, we don't know that. Um, but, you know, it looks like Jackson is sort of penciled in at this point as the starter at left guard. And, 
you know, again, he's a young player. Their offensive line, you know, I always felt that Brady was able to to compensate for his offensive line the last couple of years. It's not been a great O-line, but that's Brady. So now you're getting into a potentially different quarterback. You know, Garoppolo, will he leave the pocket early if he feels pressure where Brady doesn't do that? Uh, you know, we, we don't know the answer to those questions. When they were running those 6 ol I don't remember, did they use a lot of run action? Times, you know, Cameron Fleming was usually the sixth alignman uh, at times, uh, and, and often they ran out of it, obviously, which most teams do. Yeah, um, I'm just wondering if you have a mobile guy and you do run action, maybe that fakes a couple of extra guys out and helps Garoppolo. Um, on the defensive line, looks you know pretty. St- Malcolm Brown comes in at defensive tackle. I think we both like him a lot. One pickup that I'm really intrigued by because I think he was a bit out of position the last couple of years is Javal Sheard, um, who was had, had was pretty productive as an end and then was moved to outside linebacker, not quite as productive. I look at what Belichick does with sort of the weak side and strong side hybrid ends in his two-gap slash one-gap thing. I think Sheard fits this like a glove. I'm very excited to see what he can do on the strong side. What are your thoughts about it? Yeah, I was like Jamal Sheard, you know, uh, Jamal Sheard. I think that... I guess the question was always whether he was best with his hand on the ground in a three-point stance or could he play linebacker. I think, you know, the defense that's somewhat multiple with their fronts, I think he kind of fits this really well. You know, I guess you could make the argument that in some ways he could be like Akeem Ayers, who actually played really well for New England when he got a chance to play. Yeah. Uh, he could be that kind of player for them. Yeah. Um well, Ayers also did kind of, some kind of linebacker depth stuff. You think Sheard could do that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Sheard, I think, can, can he's probably best as a pass rusher, but I think he has the ability to, to be a linebacker as well. Hmm, interesting. Well, the linebackers, speaking of, Jamie Collins, Gerard Mayo, Dante Hightower, done, done, done. Uh, so we get back to... <laughs> we Good get group. To, yeah, one of the best. So defensive yeah. backs, here is the projected starters right now. You got Malcolm Butler, Logan Ryan, Devin McCourty, and Patrick Chung. I know that you're near Philly, so you saw a lot of Bradley Fletcher last year. Um, and I don't know how much of that was scheme or player. We really didn't see much from of, from Malcolm Butler until the big play. I know that Belichick was yelling at him uh, through the Super Bowl week practice because he, he apparently was having trouble with that skinny slant, and he obviously solved that problem. Uh, Logan Ryan, I think, is a good slot guy. Move him outside, I don't know. McCourty and Chung, I think they, we know what they are. McCourty is a great player. But let's start with Fletcher. Um, we know, and you said over and over last year, how much man the Patriots played last in, in 2014. With Butler, Ryan, Fletcher, all these guys they got, can they do that, or are they going to have to switch it up? I would expect them to switch it up. I don't think this personnel can play the high percentage of man that they played last year. They they essentially played close to eighty percent man to man coverage, and that's because of the personnel they had. I don't think this group can play that. Uh, now every team plays man at times. It's the NFL, but I don't think that will be their core foundation. Uh, Bradley Fletcher played a lot of man in Philadelphia last year because Bill Davis believed that uh, in Philly, but. Fletcher did not play it particularly well through the course of the season. So I think you'll see Bill Belichick play to his personnel and not stick to uh, just playing man-to-man. 
what were because I I've, I've watched a lot of Fletcher tape and I just I mean he gets his lunch eaten on deep balls. He doesn't appear to have a lot of what I would call short area recovery speed, like on quick angles. You can fake him out easily. And I remember when he was at the Rams, he was a good player. I know he got hurt. What are what are the issues there? Well, the issue for Fletcher is he's really not. His skill set suggests that he'd be better playing press man. He's just not good enough at it to to be that guy. He's not really an off-coverage corner because he doesn't have kind of the loose hips and, and movements you look for in an off-coverage player. So his skill set suggests press man, but he really struggled with that last year. Yeah. Um, how do you like Ryan as, Logan Ryan as an outside guy? You know, I liked him uh, coming out of Rutgers. I thought he could play outside in the NFL, and I think he's going to get through training camp a chance to see if he can be that guy. I know I think he does have the skill set, the physical traits to be able to do it, but that's not, you know, we see that throughout the league. I mean, you look at in Tennessee, for instance, at someone like Bleedy Ray Wilson, who's played two years and has really not acquitted himself real well. But if you just look at the physical traits, you'd say this guy should be a good man-to-man corner, but he hasn't been. So I think Ryan has the skill set. Now he's going to have to play every week to pay meaningful snaps. Have you seen enough of Butler to make any sort of statement on what you believe his future potential is? I thought in the Super Bowl, I thought he played man well, but I don't know if that's a large enough sample to say that, oh, he can play man and be really good. Yeah. I don't know. I, I mean, I, I buy into the whole Bill Belichick can coach up a lot of guys, but, boy, this this is one of his biggest challenges. Uh, I would agree. Sure. It's a wait and see. Yeah. Uh, okay, now we'll go in alphabetical order to the Buffalo Bills. They bring in Rex Ryan, uh, which, well, God, let's start with the defense. I mean, this <laughs> he's certainly got Mario Williams, Marcel Darius, Kyle Williams, Jerry Hughes, um, he's got some guys on the second wave that would start in other places. Um, it's a hybrid defense. Um, they lose Kiko Alonso in the trade, although they didn't really have him last year anyway. Um, one thing that occurred to me, uh, just watching this personnel, and I was doing something on the, four, the 46 defense in the offseason, and Rex does some 46 with some interesting zone concepts. Um, I, I don't think there's a defense I'm more excited to watch this season than this personnel. It's because, uh, you know, Nigel Bradham, Preston Brown, pretty good linebackers. Um, you know, this is going to be something to watch. Yeah, I mean, it's, they have good personnel. You know, it's interesting with the linebackers, you know, with, with Bradham and, and Brown, because I, I don't think they have great speed at linebacker. That might be the only thing they're lacking. Uh, I've always loved to find Gilmore, uh, and I know they do too. Uh, I think he's a really good corner. Uh, you know, I think Mikel Roby is a really good slot player, despite the, his size. Uh, so, you know, it's a very good defense. Look, we know the Rex Ryan philosophy of football. He wants to run the ball, play great defense, and have his quarterback make a few plays here and there. He does not want the quarterback to be the foundation of his team. Now, he's also been stuck, you know, with Mark Sanchez for uh, four years in, in New York and then Geno Smith for a couple of years, and now he's – uh, I mean, I personally think that if Matt Castle can play at his best, that he's the best option at quarterback, but I guess we're going to go through training camp and find that out. 
Yeah, with EJ Manuel, I mean, I remember watching. I was at the I was at his Senior Bowl was the last one I was at because obviously uh, the team up here got in the playoffs a lot and went to Super Bowls, and I couldn't go to the Senior Bowl. Um, and boy, one of the biggest examples of a guy I loved on college tape, and he got into the NFL, and I just you know I don't. I guess the best way I can put it is I don't like the way he sees the game. I don't like what he's looking at. I, I don't understand. Um, I just I have a real problem with his perception of the field is, I guess, the best way to put it. Yeah, and, and he's not a particularly – you know, he's got two things that if you're really looking for NFL quarterback traits that would concern you. Number one, what you just said. And number two, he's not particularly accurate. Right. And that's – those two issues probably preclude him from being a quality starter in the, in the league. So they have Chan Gailey, right? What's that? They have Chan Gailey as their offensive coordinator, right? No, the Bills have Greg Roman. Chan Gailey's with the Jets. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Duh. Okay, we'll get to Chan Gailey. So they're going to look to run the ball. <laughs> yeah, they're going to run the ball. They're going to run the ball. I mean, that's – and by the way, that's the Rex Ryan philosophy anyway. But Greg Roman certainly um, – you know, he's normally been in San Francisco used by gap scheme runs, power, those kinds of runs. Uh, I guess will he stay with that with a back like LaShawn McCoy or will he do more zone? You know, that, that I think that's going to be interesting to see the kinds of runs that they feature. Yeah, I would agree with that because the Niners were, I mean, when their line was at its best, that Super Bowl year, it was like a total regressive power counter trap thing. And... Oh, yeah. McCoy. And Frank Gore is that kind of back. Yes, he and, is. Uh, you know, McCoy obviously has great open field skill and great Zuzu, as we like to say. Yes. But um, I don't know if, if McCoy is, at his core, a guy who's going to run gap scheme runs consistently, hitting it up inside. Well, I think to do that, and I'm thinking of younger backs that would fit that, Le'Veon Bell because of his patience. Justin Forsett, yep. because he's a very patient runner. I think you need patience, and then we'll use another cliche, speed to and through the hole. McCoy is a great running back, but he's never struck me as, an, as a really patient guy. You know? and, and I think when you run those gap scheme runs, very often backs have to get skinny and get through small cracks. I don't know if there was a better back in the last five to ten years at that than Frank Gore. Right. I don't know if McCoy is that guy. I think if he doesn't feel like there's a hole, he bounces. Yeah. That's going to be interesting to watch. Um, wide receivers, Sammy Watkins, we like Robert Woods, we like Percy Harvin. What is Percy Harvin? I mean, it's... it's I really we all know, know he's talented, you know, in terms of just physical traits, but... He's never really developed as a pure wideout. But don't you think that's a fair statement? I think he's great on a bubble screen or a 40-yard post, and I think everything else is mystery meat. That's that's what I saw up here. That's what I saw in his Minnesota tape once the Seahawks got him and I had to do a piece on it. I'm like, basically, he can run the 1 and the 9. And numbers 2 through 8 in the route tree, he just doesn't recognize those numbers. It's as if he's Yeah, and, and he's you could well be right man. because obviously whenever he goes to a team, everybody gets excited because he's an explosive kid. But he's never really evolved as a true wideout, and he seems to end up being somewhat disappointing. And again, I don't want to get into any of the personal stuff. I don't know any of that, and that's not important. Um, but 
at some point, he's never really developed here as a true wideout. And obviously, I think, you know, again, but you don't know with, with Rex and Greg Roman how they see him. Uh, it's it's hard to build a guy as kind of a gimmick guy. You know, that's I think that's hard in the NFL. Yeah. Well, I think with Roman, you, you know, you're going to have a lot of... If, if we see what we saw in San Francisco, it's going to be... Um, and they brought in Charles Clay for a lot of money, so obviously they. Oh, want, I like. The, yes, me too. They want one receiving tight end. Um, I could see, you know, maybe they take one guy and make him that Bruce Miller, you know, tight end slash fullback hybrid. It's going to be a lot of two receiver sets. If we see, and you know, Rex is not going to go four wide a lot of the time. So no, I'm no. not really sure what they're going to do with Harvin either. I just don't know. So let's. Um, yeah, I, I don't know either. I think if you're a fantasy player, Percy Harvin is a mystery. Yeah, he is. I would. I would. If I played fantasy football, I would run away like crazy. I tell you what, though, they're going to line up with a fullback because they have Jerome Feldman and John Connor on the roster right now. Now I don't know if both make it, but Jerome Feldman is a pretty darn good elite blocker. He is, most definitely. Well, let's talk about their block. Let's uh, let's touch on Charles Clay. What do you like about him? Well, how does he fit? How does he fit the Greg Roman offense that we've seen? You know, I see him in the Greg Roman offense. He's not the same physical specimen, but I would see him as there uh, as the Vernon Davis kind of player. Yes. Uh, I think Clay is pretty athletic for a tight end. I think you can move him around. Uh, I don't think he's a he's truly an inline blocker as as, as the defining feature of his game. Uh, but I think you know he's one of those tight ends that can line up in different spots, and he's a he can get down the scene now. He's got vertical skill for a tight end. Yeah. Um, the offensive line, and this is where things kind of get uh, dicey. <laughs> Cordy Glenn, John Miller, Eric Wood, uh, Cyrus Quanjo, Richie, Richie Incognito. Uh, I'm not sure what to say about this. Well. You know, this this would be a question mark, I guess, for this team. Eric Wood, I think, is a solid player. Um, you know, if, if they're talking about Miller and, and uh, Quanjo right now, I, I mean, Chantrell Henderson has been a starter for them. Um, it, it's hard to know who's going to come out of camp as, as the starting group here. Uh, I, I think this will be a very competitive camp battle. Uh, I, Courtney Glenn will play left tackle. Eric Wood will play center. To me, the other three positions are up for grabs. That's my opinion. Maybe, you know, I'm not there. Maybe I'm wrong, but that would be my guess. Yeah. Uh, Miami Dolphins. Ryan Tannehill. I thought I'd really good. Where did, where did you have Tannehill in the Jaws QB countdown, by the way? Gee, I forget. Um, uh, let me see here. Ryan Tannehill. You had him number 17. Yeah, that's Jaws' his ranking. Yeah. Where would you put him? Um, you know, I'm bad at lists, but I will tell you this, that I think Tannehill has improved incrementally in each of his three years. I think that he's improved in the way we used to look at quarterback improvement before everything became immediate gratification, and a guy had to be great right away. Uh, and I like Ryan Tannehill. I think Ryan Tannehill is, is a on his way to being a good I think in a few years we'll speak of him and again I don't want to start getting into playoff games and soup you know and I, look I uh, we all understand that at some point that does mean something but 
I think that Ryan Tannehill could be a top 10 quarterback in the next couple of years. Well, I also think that it wasn't Ryan Tannehill's fault that his run defense fell completely to crap in the last month of the season. And that's true, too. So, um, But I actually like this offense. Yeah, I do, too. Yeah, I think it's going to be a pretty interesting offense. I think uh, um, I'm real anxious to see if J.H.I. is healthy as a back because I think he's a very good receiver as well as a good runner. Um, I think you and I both really like Jarvis Landry. Yep. Uh, I don't know about Devontae Parker. I wasn't quite as high on him uh, going into the draft as others. Um, did not view him as a 14th pick, but that's irrelevant at this point. He's a big kid. I guess he's injured now. But they've got a pretty deep group of receivers. Um Jordan Cameron, hopefully he stays healthy because I think he's a really good receiving tight end. And, you know, this is not a bad all-line. Yeah. Um, as long as Albert's healthy, you know, Pouncey's good. I like Jawan James. I know he gave up a lot of pressures in his first season, but I think he's got a lot of potential. Uh, let's go back to Lamar Miller. What are your thoughts about I mean, I know he's bulked up. He wants to be thought of as a franchise back. Because I've heard differing levels of issues with Ajay. I've heard it's like bone on bone with his knee and you know, that's never good. But if 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 the idea is Lamar Miller and he says I can be the Bell Cow franchise fifteen hundred yard guy, is that something you see on tape? Um, I don't think Miller over the course of a season can carry two seventy to three hundred times. That's my opinion. Um, I think he's explosive. I don't think he's overly shifty. Um, I think he's a little stiff that way, but he's very explosive downhill. I think if they're going to increase the use of, of option concepts, which, you know, with Bill Lazor as the offensive coordinator coming from Philly, which he did a lot of last year, we saw how mobile Tannehill was at times, uh, running read option. I think that helps Lamar Miller because it spreads the defense and it gives him bigger gaps to hit downhill with explosion. So I think the style of offense will help Lamar Miller, uh, and I think that's what he needs. I I don't think if you were to run a high percentage of, of gap scheme where you want him to hit it up inside, um, you know, where everybody's tight. I don't think he's that kind of back. No, and I want to check. I don't think, if I have this correct, I don't think they had him run 20 carries in any of his games last year. And Philbin, let me see, da, 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 no, uh, I think he topped out at 18 against the Bears in week six. Uh, oh, no, 19 against the Vikings and the Jets in uh, games in weeks 15 or games 15 and 16. How many many times did he carry for the season? 216 and in the season finale against the Jets he went 19 times for 178 yards. That was his big... So yeah, I mean, you know, he averaged over 5 yards a rush if my memory serves me correctly, did he not? Yeah, 5.09 and this was a guy, I mean, he was sort of coveted by the fantasy community as every year he's going to be the breakout guy. He had two hundred yard, two one hundred yard games last year. Hundred and eight against yeah, the Chiefs in week three, and I think and that the two hundred sixteen carries that you mentioned, I see him more as that guy, Doug. I don't see him as quote unquote a bell cow of an offense. Yeah. I see him as a as a part of an offense. I would agree with that. Um, we move to the defensive line, and obviously the big, de- you know, they lose uh, Odrick. Uh, but they bring in Dominic Sue, and if the idea is to run Sue and Wake on the left side, I mean, holy cow! <laughs> this is a pretty good front. 
front seven, by the way. I mean, yeah. nah, I'm not saying anything profound here, but Cameron Wake and Olivier Vernon are really good defensive ends. I think and Vernon is a guy. Vernon is like a couple of ticks away from one of those 15 sack seasons. He's tremendous. I would, I would agree with you. He is just some, he's something else. And a player I really liked on film last year was Jelani Jenkins at linebacker. Yep. I thought he was fast. He had some explosiveness to him. I thought he was a really good player. Now, they'll have some issues at corner. Brent Grimes, we both like Brent Grimes. Uh Um, Who's their other outside corner? Jamar Taylor was a second-round pick a few years ago. They would clearly expect him to be at the point in his career, I guess it's his third season, where he would step in and be a starting corner. Yeah, because Bryce McCain, who they got from Pittsburgh, he's a nickel guy. That's pretty much what That's he where he should be used, correct. Yeah. If you have to use Bryce McCain on the outside, it's because you're not good enough on the outside. Yeah, with Taylor, I don't know if it's because, oh, he hasn't lived, well, he's also, he hasn't been healthy, so that's kind of a problem. Um, one thing about, and, and this really helps with depth, because uh, I like Earl Mitchell, but they didn't just get sued from Detroit. They also got C.J. Mosley, who's a, who's a veteran, but he played really well, I thought, replacing Nick Fairley when Fairley got hurt. So I couldn't agree more. Tremendous uh, and by the way, Earl Mitchell's a good player. Yes. You know, they drafted the Oklahoma kid, Jordan Phillips, and I don't know whether he played as a rookie. Uh, you know, again, we, you never know that. But I think as you and I discussed uh, when, when we did the draft, Kids a little freakish, uh, you know. Size, uh, the size athleticism combination is pretty freakish. He's he was the most athletic defensive tackle I watched tape of in this draft class. And he's so he's six five three thirty, regardless of size, which is scary, yeah, which is really scary. So yeah, it's uh, I'd like to see Sue and Phillips in the middle with uh, Cameron Wake and Olivier Vernon outside. I don't think quarterbacks would, but I'd like to see that. <laughs> it's a pretty good group. It's a good front seven. Now, is that a traditional, is it a, a straight 4-3, or do they run two-gap slash one-gap? Do they do some hybrid stuff? How does that look? It's predominantly a 4-3. Four, four, I mean, every team does uh, other things at times, but it's predominantly a 4-3. You know, Vernon, uh, Vernon and Wake at times don't put their hands uh on the ground, but it's still really a four-three. It's not—it's not a lot of three-four principles. Uh, yeah, Kevin Coyle's been there for the last four years. What are his? Does he have stylistic uh, tendencies? Well, he came from Cincinnati prior to be, be being the DC in uh, in Miami. So okay. you know, if you think of Cincinnati's defense, it's a lot of that secondary coach. Okay, so it's more a straight four-three. Uh, yeah. They run some nickel and more standard positioning. Okay, so they want their players to make plays. I would agree the secondary would be the issue there. Um, I'm going to go back to your Jaws QB countdown here as we move to the New York Jets. Oh, we're moving on to the Jets and Geno. Yeah, number 29. Wow. Yeah, you got Jameis at 32, Mariota at 31, which makes sense. Ryan Mallett at 30. I my. Based on, I thought Ryan Mallett had like undraftable college tapes. So I didn't. You got Geno Smith. Really? Oh, I didn't like Mallett at all. At, wow, interesting. Okay. Well, I. The way I used to describe Drew Bledsoe in his later years was that he was a statue with a cannon attached. And that's kind of Mallett to me, and I just. I, I kind of run away from those types of quarterbacks. So. All right then. Um, now that we got that settled, we can move on. I know, right? Uh. 
so I, I want to read a little bit. Okay, uh, Jaws says, and I know this is Jaws stuff, and you work with him. But th- these are his rankings. These are his words. Is that correct? Well, they're his rankings. Okay. So when we talk, <laughs> well, what I've got, I've got the ESPN Media Zone thing here, and I've got because they, they, you know, Sports Center and NFL. Oh, from my from my friend Ali Stoneberg. That's what yeah, you have, right? Right. Um, yeah. So yeah, she transcribed every every script. Exactly, and these are always very helpful. But what I'm asking is, what Jaws says on these. I mean, how much of that is him, and how much of that is you? If I told you that, Doug, then I'd have to kill you. Okay. Well, then I'm just going to read this, and I'll I'll ascribe it to both of you so I can stay alive to uh, next week's podcast. Um, And because I I'm I'm surprised by this. I think Geno Smith is better than 29, but it's uh, so. Well, but again, it's a list. I mean, I know. I know. You you more than most actually probably look at the substance of what's said. Well, let me... Okay. And don't forget, keep one thing in mind. And, and it's, I'm glad we're actually talking about the countdown because I, I, I do a lot of the execution of those pieces. I know. And you're talking about ESPN wanting two quarterbacks in two and a half minutes. Sure. So you get to show about a minute and 15 seconds for a quarterback, and in that minute 15 seconds, they want coaching tape. So you can appreciate that there's not a lot of footage that you can put in. You, you know, we're not just showing 30 plays of a quarterback and running through every scenario because it's not possible to do that given the time constraints. Okay. Well, I get that, but... Yeah, you get that. I mean, it's like writing an article. If I said to you, you know, I want you to write a really outstanding article about why Tom Brady is a great quarterback, and write that, please, in 200 words, you know, that's a lot harder. You have to leave out an awful lot as opposed to telling you you have a thousand words, you know. So just keep that in mind that, you know, these, these pieces for ESPN are ultimately short, and they want coaching tape, which requires freezes and descriptions of individual plays. I got it. I got it. And if everything I was about to read had Geno Smith in the mid-20s or high-20s, I wouldn't have a problem with it. I think, but okay, Uh, there is no doubt that he had the throwing skill set. It's more a function of his ability to process or isolate multiple streams of information in real time. Um, Straight to pocket toughness. Courage has never been an issue. Um, you know, I see. I thought Smith went back and forth on that, and I guess the reason I'm bringing this up is the I believe the Cosell Jaworski tandem is being a little hard on Mr. Smith, and I'll just leave it at that. Hard in terms of what in particular? Uh, the ability to process or isolate multiple streams of information in real time. Do you think he's better than? I think he's inconsistent at that. I think you he, don't? I no, I do. I I do think he's inconsistent. Um, what I don't think he is is kind of hopeless, and if he's 29th, it's kind of like, whoa, where did that come from? Well, I don't think he's hopeless by any stretch of the imagination. Now I'm speaking, I'm giving you my opinion, which is all I can do. Right. Um, I still hold out a lot of hope for Geno Smith. Um, You know, I think that you know, say what you're on about Rex Ryan. Uh, he's a great, great defensive coach, and if you talk to people in the league, he, his name would be among the top two or three that any offensive coordinator would mention when they talk about the great defensive coaches. No but I think, like, he's almost to the extreme of believing that the quarterback is is almost a complimentary player on a team. And I think that 
you know, we see that with a lot of defensive-based head coaches in, in their belief about the quarterback and the position itself. And I think Geno got stuck with that, and it's going to be fascinating. Now, Todd Bowles is there, another great defensive coach. They brought in Chan Gailey, who's a fairly expansive offensive thinker. I think this is a really interesting year for Geno, because I, I still hold out hope that Geno Smith can be a quality NFL starter. Well, I've been a Chan Gailey fan for a long time. I've written about him for years. I remember when he did... He, I know the Lions had run some pistol before the Chiefs did it with Tyler Thigpen in 2008. A couple teams had messed around with it. Chris Alt basically invented the pistol in 2005. The the pistol came to the end, and the pistol, by the way, for those who don't know, it's quarterback three yards behind the center, or four yards behind the center, running back either three yards behind him or offset. It's probably used as much as shotgun, if not more, by some teams. Seahawks use it all the time. So. Uh, basically, it was uh, Brody Croyle and Damon Heward went down. Talk about a murderer's row there. And Tyler Thigpen, this second-year kid out of Coastal Carolina, is, is Gailey's quarterback. And Gailey, You're right. I remember that year. Gailey, Tyler Thigpen had about seven or eight games there, and he was pretty good in that offense. He blew it up, and he threw more touchdowns and interceptions, and it was because he understood how to run the pistol. They also had that period that year where Larry Johnson had been suspended because of you know infractions against a team in the league. I think that was Jamal Charles's rookie year. So what what I'm trying to get here is I'm trying to get to this point. Chan Gailey is a coach who has a really solid history of adapting to what he's been given, and he's kind of like um, I'm trying to think of a, a you know like I, I think of Gene Malk in baseball. I know you're a basketball guy from way back. I'm a baseball guy too. Um, you know, Gene Mott could take your your 300 team and make it 600. I don't know if he could take your 500 team and make it 800. But I think Gailey is a really good fit for Geno Smith because there are these base things that he needs, and I think Gailey will not only give him those things, but he'll put him in. A, he'll look at him and go, "Okay, this is not a mobile guy." This is not necessarily a shotgun guy. I think a lot of people got that wrong about Geno Smith, expecting to be mobile, and we all know why. We don't need to say it, do we? Um, and he's not. He ran for like 20 yards his entire career at West Virginia. So I yeah, think, but I think, I, I, but I think he's, he's athletic. So, I mean, yeah, mobility is, is, you know, that, that's a, a relative term. Um, Geno is athletic. The, the question is, you know, do you look at Smith and, and say, okay, I can teach this kid how to be a really good NFL quarterback, or, and I'm sure that this is what will likely happen, I think we can run a lot of cool stuff on offense because Chan's good at a lot of cool stuff, and we can scheme people and probably create some stuff, but is that making Geno Smith a better player? I think in the short term, well, and I think this is the function of you know, what coaches do with young quarterbacks for the most part, unless you're, unless you're blessed with Andrew Luck. Um, you kind of, you start a little bit more with the latter, and you try and work your way to the former, and there has to be, the, there have to be these, you know, data points and lines of demarcation where you drop one, you know, bitchin' cool scheme thing for another thing that'll make your quarterback better. I know the Seahawks have been doing that with Russell Wilson since 2012. Um, and some guys don't get it, and you, you know, at, at a certain point you throw up your hands and go, okay, screw it, we need to draft a guy in two years because this is as far as he can go. 
Right, um, right. All I'm saying is that anyone who says they have the book on Geno Smith right now, in my opinion, has no idea. Because I don't know. I would agree with that. We I don't mean, know what well, Geno Smith, Geno Smith, in a lot of people's minds, as you know, stinks, and uh, and, and you know, people are going to believe that, and it doesn't matter. And then who knows? They could end up being right. But I think that there's too much talent there to write him off, and. I think you have to wait and see. I'm just real anxious to see how the Jets choose to run their offense because all of a sudden this team has some talent on offense. Yeah. You know, this is not a team you look at and go, boy, they stink. I mean, they've got a fairly good stable of backs, maybe not one guy who's going to gain, you know, 1,500 yards, but they have a fairly good stable of backs. They've got a pretty solid receiving core. Um, Devin Smith was brought in in the second round to be the speed guy. That They needed that, and we don't know what he'll do as a rookie. Well, um, I think they're going to give him two routes and let him run them and go on the rim. I would agree with you. I, think I would agree. Um, they've actually got, you know, look, they drafted Jason Morrow in the second round. I've always liked Jeff Cumberland. I think they have some tight ends who can run. And their whole line is... is you, know, you would say it's probably solid, not great. It's okay. You know, by any means. Um, but it's, it's not a... a bad O-line, it's not a sieve, so offensively they've actually got some players. Well, here's what I remember, I think I did a Jets preview for SI, I don't remember where I came up with the stat, but I was looking at Pro Football Focus. You know who caught the most passes for the Jets last year of 20 yards or more in the air? Jeff Cumberland. Yeah, Jeff Cumberland, and again, he's been injured at times, he's been a, a product of a, of a pass offense that's been inconsistent and often underutilized, so his numbers haven't been, you know, the kind of numbers that people look at and say, wow, he's a good player, unless, you know, you know the player, but Jeff Cumberland can run. He's actually, he may have been, and, and, and someone listening might be able to know the answer to this, or we could find it out while we're talking, I thought Jeff Cumberland may have been a wide receiver in college, but I could be wrong. Uh, uh, now I'll have to look that up. But, but and no, no offense to Mr. Cumberland, but if Jeff Cumberland is your main deep target, you need more deep targets, and now they have them. Um, where is Brandon Marshall, as I look up Cumberland, at this point in his career? What is he? Uh, he's a short to intermediate guy who occasionally can get down the field because of his size. You know, I don't think that he's, uh, you know, he's not a vertical threat in a strict sense, but he can make contested catches, so he becomes somewhat of a vertical threat. Uh, and by the way, Cumberland did play uh, wide receiver his yep. last two years at Illinois. So there you go. Yeah. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, that, that's what I think Marshall is. He's more of a, you know, a theoretical chain mover at this point. So the defense obviously becomes very interesting for the Jets because you go from one tremendous defensive coach to another, and I would put Todd Bowles in, I mean, if I'm being conservative, the top seven or eight defensive minds in the NFL. Oh, I love I Todd Bowles. amazing. And I think they did an awesome job in the offseason because they can now play his style. They have the personnel. He wants to play man-to-man on the outside and yep. squeeze the middle. And now they have the two corners, Cromartie and Revis, and Buster Screen, a terrific signing to play the slot. And by the way, a guy who was injured last year, who a lot of people liked coming out of Maryland, was Dexter McDougal. I agree with that. Yes. Very interesting to see where that falls. And a very under-the-radar signing because of Cromartie and Revis was Marcus Gilchrist. Yes. 
who's a really good player, in my opinion, and a very versatile player. He was and kind will of a, he was a really high... effectively, I think, in bowls, multiple pressure schemes where secondary players are part of the pressures. Yeah, he was kind of a, in San Diego, wasn't he kind of a hybrid uh, corner safety guy who would blitz at times? Yeah, because he played in the slot in their nickel. Yeah, but it wasn't like a slot corner. He had some safety roles. Am I correct about yep. that? Yeah, he was a starting safety in base and a slot corner in nickel. Okay, so is the idea that he's their Tyron Matthew, or, or where do you think he winds up? I, don't think I wonder if I don't he's think there, Dion, Dion Buchanan. Oh, ooh, that's interesting. I, I, you know, he's not quite that big, but I think he could be that guy. I don't I know think, that. I you think, know, we're just talking. I, uh, could be. I think Calvin Pryor is or Dion Buchanan because you want a guy. Who could just, be. Yeah. He, that might be the better fit. You're exactly right because Pryor, and again. Uh, Pryor did, did not show last year. He was a rookie, you know, and I always give rookies the benefit, but he did not show that he could really be a deep safety yet. Maybe Calvin Pryor is that guy. You're right. That's probably a better call. Because what Calvin Pryor can do, and this shows up on his, I mean, I compared him as a runner to Earl Thomas. The dude, he, he goes around there like his ass is on fire, and he is explosive when he hits. So that, to me, would... He's straight-line explosive. He's not really... Uh, Loose hips explosive. No. Like Earl Thomas is loose hips explosive. No, that's Pryor's yeah. fast in a straight line, but he's not loose hips explosive. No, and that's why I said running only. I'm not comparing yeah. anyone to Earl Thomas. <laughs> no, I, I, no, that's usually not a good idea. No, 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 no. So the defensive line, um, you know, Rex has his his ways of doing things, and certainly they've worked. Uh, Sheldon Richardson out for the first four games, which is a big hit. But schematically, um, I know Bowles was a secondary coach. Does he tend to defer? Um, I know he was a Philly guy, so maybe you've talked to him about this. Does he defer his front seven stuff to those coaches, or is he an overseer of the whole thing? Well, it's his concepts. I mean, I can't tell you, you know, what the delegation is as far as practice and, you know, who does what, but it's, it's Todd's concepts. Um, it's going to be really interesting with Richardson out for the first four. I'm, I'm really anxious to see how they use Leonard Williams. Yep. Um, you know, to me, that's one of the most fascinating things for the Jets, uh, how they use him, certainly through the first four games. Because he's going to get, a, I mean, they drafted him sixth, he's going to get a lot of snaps because Richardson won't be on the field. And I'm also anxious to see how Quentin Copels gets used because given what Todd had at outside linebacker in Arizona, which he didn't really have a stud outside linebacker, I think in his defense, Copels could stand up. Could be. I never never liked Copels as a stand-up guy. I remember uh, watching his tape on North Carolina, and I didn't know what the hell he was. Let me ask you. I, I agree, but I think with Todd, I think, you know, Look, he's he's used guys like Matt Shaughnessy as as uh, stand up linebackers. I think Copels could do that. Yeah, um, Leonard Williams is what six five, six four, six. I think he was six five, two ninety eight at the combine, if if I remember correctly. Okay, um, I was just I was running through some Cardinals defensive all twenty two this week for another project, and I wound up watching Calais Campbell because Calais Campbell's really flipping good. And I think a lot of people perceive Calais Campbell as an end. He got, I mean, most of his time and most of his pressure was spent either at three tech or sometimes he'd kick inside to one tech. So I guess the hypothetical question is, does Bull see Leonard Williams as his Calais Campbell? Um, could be. Could 
be. I mean, yeah, you know. Um, I mean, it's not a comparison I support, and I can tell you why if you want, but I, I'm just wondering if that's why they just went so. Because I, I never got the whole he's the best defensive player in this draft. I thought he was slow coming off the ball and all these other things. Um, yeah, I, 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 by the way, I, I didn't think he was the best defensive player in the draft either, but I, I think what people are looking at is that he's 6'5", 298, and there's clear athleticism there. He's a really good athlete. I think he has a lot to learn, but supposedly he's a hardworking kid and a great kid who lives and breathes football, so we'll find out. Um, you know, I, I didn't see him at this point as a true, pure pass rusher, uh, and, I, and I didn't see him either as a pure sort of inside strong guy. I, I thought I couldn't quite figure out exactly where he would play and be really good at, early in his career. You know, he's, he's 21 years old, so yeah. you have to take that into account. So among the pass rushers, who's, who's the surprise, the, the potential surprise, who's the Sam Acho? Who's the guy, well, he got eight sacks? How the hell did that happen? You mean on this team? Yeah. Oh, that's a good question. I mean, I think he'll scheme pressure because that's what Todd does. Um, I don't think they have one guy as you look at the roster and go, that guy's the sack guy. Yeah. I don't think they have that guy. Well, we'll see. How he didn't really have that guy in, in Arizona, by the way, and they were able to generate a lot of pressure. Yeah. So when you say scheme pressure, how does he do that? Oh, uh, he's no one. I think uses the a gaps as well as Todd Bowles. I mean, you know, we've seen over the years. Everybody now does double a gap pressures. He does triple a gap pressures, which other teams now do as well. But I think Todd Bowles does that as effectively as any defensive minded coach in the league. Yep. Yep. It'll be very interesting to see. So when you look at the overall landscape here, um, I kind of look at the Dolphins as the one contender. When we look at Miami, I mean, and we talked about this with the Dolphins. I'll finish with this question. Um, what are the things that Ryan Tannehill needs to work on slash fix slash improve upon um, if it's going to be him that takes them to that next level? Well, I think his, he's been a little erratic at times with his accuracy. You'd like to see him be a little more consistent in that area. Uh, I think some of that had to do with a tendency which he improved on as last year progressed to not move his feet with his eyes, yeah. and that's a critical part of quarterbacking. You must move your feet with your eyes or you throw balls off balance. I think at times uh, Tannehill did too much of that. Uh, he's not a great deep ball thrower. And, again, I don't know if that's something that can drastically improve or it's not because he doesn't have a good arm. You know, he certainly has enough arm to make deep throws. Uh, but I think he needs to be better because when those opportunities present themselves, Doug, in the NFL, when you truly have a shot over the top that's there, uh, and we're, no one's saying they're easy throws, but you've got to make those throws. Is because it, you don't get a lot of those opportunities. you got to make those throws. Is it mechanical in nature? Because there are sometimes I don't think he throws with his base as well as I think I'd like to see. I would agree with that. I think sometimes he, he, he's sort of stuck. You know, I mean, you hear a lot of coaches talk about stick your back foot, you know, your cleats in the ground, but then at some point you have to shift your weight and, and turn it loose. I think there are times he doesn't do that. Yeah. He's not Cutler. You can't get away with that stuff. <laughs> 
Well, Cutler, I mean, say what you want about Jay Cutler. I mean, certainly there's not an issue with his ability to throw. That's what I was saying. Uh, he yeah. can't get away with that stuff uh, as yep. Cutler can, which, you know, just throw it up there and see. When you say uh, move your eyes with your feet. Uh, what move you, your feet with your eyes. What do you mean by that? Well, if you're dropping back and, and let's say you're going through a progression and you you initially look to your left, but then you have a backside, you know, inbreaker and you want to make that throw based on the coverage, you have to move your feet so you're facing that inbreaker that's on the other side. If you stay with your feet positioned as if you're throwing to your left and just throw the ball back to your to the middle without moving your feet, you're going to throw the ball off balance and that impacts both accuracy and velocity. So you have to move your feet with your eyes. Oh, so it becomes more of an upper body thing if you don't. Yeah, because otherwise you're throwing off balance. Gotcha. Well, we don't want to do that, and uh, Greg, great stuff as always. It's been months, and we're always happy to talk to you. You've put us back in balance. Nice segue there. And uh, we'll come back next week and talk about the NFC East, another division with uh, all kinds of storylines. But uh, as I said, great pleasure to talk football with you again. Doug, I appreciate it, and I look forward to uh, the season.